Property Matters, the show that brings global trends to an Irish audience to help shape your knowledge of the industry. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or by email at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host today are myself, Brian Fox and Carol Tonnon. We have an exciting programme. First up, Councillor Michael Fleming, Independent, representing the Glencullen area. Councillor Dave Quinn, Social Democrats, representing the Leary area. And Councillor Justin Moylan, Fianna Fáil, also representing the Leary area, all sitting on Dunleary Rockdown County Council, discuss the huge number of objections to the apartment scheme for Dundrum. Let's just have a chat locally because uh, the latest on the proposed new development on Drum by Hammerson, Hammerson is that there are, were more than 700, 700 objections to the new apartment scheme. So we'll just talk to you, Michael, first, since you're in the particular area, sort of. Yeah. Um, are, are you surprised by the number of objections? I'm not surprised, Brian. Uh, there was a well-run campaign by Imagine Dundrum um, and, you know, there was a Facebook campaign as well. So I'm not surprised at the number of objections that came in. So there was a large meeting up in Taney Parish Hall, uh, which had about 400 people there as well. So I think the, the amount of objections is probably warranted, to be honest, because uh, the scale and size of the development, to be honest. You're not, you don't, what are your thoughts on it yourself? I just think it's out of, out of, out of keeping in the, in the area. You know, it's too big, uh, in, especially at the pinch point down at, uh, facing the library. I think it's too high there, but, uh, it's, it's a massive development and I think it's, it's going to overpower Dundrum. Um, I don't think we have the, the, the right, you know, transport links at the moment for Dundrum to be able to, to, to cater for that amount of people that are going to come to the area. So mm. I just think that it's, it's, it's out of scale, to be honest. It's too too big. Okay, just I want to put, address you about this because, um, as as I probably all know, there was a big meeting um, in in one of the halls here in Dundrum, where it got uh, national media attention in relation to this project, and um, the social media backlash at it were was just something else. I think you'll agree. What's your What are your thoughts on, on it? I know you're not representing the area at all, but in, in terms of the backlash to it, um, people were. With the housing crisis, people were sort of saying, well, you know, these are all well-heeled South yeah. Dublin yeah. residents, you know. Yeah, it is. It, look, it, there's an argument on this, either, like no matter where a development is at the moment, a similar argument develops. Um, if you look, there was um, planning given, on, an SHD planning given in Carrick Mines um, not so long ago, strategic GD. housing development. Yes, thank you. Okay, so that's the, the development process whereby it goes directly to Bor Planola and... Uh, so they were granted, I think, 22 or 23 stories in Carrick Mines, okay, uh, by Ambor Planola. And uh, so we're looking in, in Dundrum Town Centre at the moment and a similar thing. And this is following um, the Office of the Planning Regulators, um, I suppose, policy of compact urban development, mm. which all sounds lovely and flowery in language. But the reality of it is when the rubber meets the road, compact urban development is where people may previously have think, thought there would be a four or five story block of apartments built somewhere. Mm. It's going to be a 10 or 12 story mm. block of apartments. Mm. And that's what compact urban development actually means. Mm. And when you bring that into a town and like, like Dundrum, that is, it's, it's a shift in culture. It's a shift in the way we think. And so, yes, on one hand, we need housing. And yet on another hand, we need to be able to be sustainable and sensible in how we develop. So I was listening to an interview with Glenn, um, is it Glenn Vay, the property developers, and they're highlighting some of the problems around this. So they're saying building large-scale apartments is actually very expensive. It's an expensive way of delivering units uh, because of the cost of construction. 
similarly, what they're finding is that there isn't a huge appetite for, for apartment purchasing, and they're also very expensive per unit. So they in, them, they're in them, their own right, now I don't know these guys, I just heard them being interviewed, but they in their own right are saying that something needs to be looked at here because they're finding it, A, it's expensive to build, and B, it's not necessarily desired. So we need housing, we need it rapidly, and if we're going to keep talking about the ideal and the perfect and the, what, what we want forever, we're going to keep going around in a circle, not getting units delivered to people today. And it's really necessary. So we're seeing a proliferation of build-to-rents, a proliferation of high density. It's expensive to build them. Um, the only way they're going to... This is because it's not economically viable, is that it, for the, Correct. For the developer? Correct. So they just sell them off to a pension company or an investment company? Well, I think what they're saying, with my, if I understand it correctly, the, 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 the logic behind it is this. If you are building housing on a on a site and it's and it's traditional semi D or duplex or three story apartment type of thing, it's it's possible to get financing for that. But when you increase the density, it becomes more expensive to build. Therefore, from it's the, difficult to get financing bank, because the yes, equity, yeah. the loan to equity value reduces per unit because mm. you're building more units. Right, right. So therefore, the only way that a developer can finance this is to get a, a REIT fund or a hedge fund or whatever. To, to, to finance it. Okay, so hence you're getting billed to rent. So it's causing a lot of difficulty in the market. Yeah, well, okay. And that, that is how I, I see it. That's, 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 that's well known at this point in time then in relation to a developer not being able to go to a bank, they have to go to a hedge fund. Well, yeah, I know, yeah that, that would be my understanding. I mean, like if you look at it, I think the central bank rules are I think a 70% loan to value ratio for development. Maybe, might be 60%, I'm not too sure what it is exactly. But if you bought a site um, and you were going to build... 30 houses on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and because just, just to explain, I suppose, a little bit in case listeners, just a hedge fund is 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 a, a, a company, I suppose, that can be an individual too, who takes a, a, a chance on, on a particular project, but the money loaned on that particular project is much higher. Uh, the interest rates are much higher than 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 conventional. Would that be yeah, a, a fair way of looking at it? A little different. I'd say a little little nuanced okay, on just, that. Just, so yeah, generally, just, what you'll see is kind of a mezzanine finance organisation who are sort of what you're talking about there. Right. Sure. But they're they're not in it for the long term. Okay. okay so mezzanine yes, finance okay, will finance anything. In this yeah. case, it happens to be development we're talking about. But ultimately, what you're looking at is is if you're a developer and you're building 200 apartments, to yeah. sell them piecemeal is difficult yeah. and takes time. Yeah. So ideally, if somebody's going to supply you mezzanine finance, in other words, bridging finance to get the, the overall package delivered, yeah. they need to know that you're going to sell that and sell it quickly in one shot. So yeah. hence come to what they call the REIT funds, which is residential investment something, trust yes, or something yes, like that, yes, right? Yes. So that's essentially your pension funds. That's your big pension providers. Right. So you have a position where people are paying into their pensions. You want to have your pension payout when you're older. Um, therefore, the pension funds are buying the bill to rents. The developer gets it paid in one go, not piecemeal. Yeah. They can pay off their finance. And so the good people are getting their pensions paid in years to come by yeah. the REIT funds who are renting the apartments. Now, there's a need for a bit of this. So it's, it's not all bad and we need housing and it's a mechanism to deliver it. But when we go to the point in Dundrum and we look at sort of the scale and the density and, and, and the proliferation of, of built to rent, then that jars with the local community and it makes sense. Dave, just bring you in. Uh, we'll let you talk now about the, the, the project here. But is it not time for people, especially in Dublin, 
and especially in the suburbs, to look at building up as opposed to building out. Uh, there may be a case, Brian, for that. And there, there, there's a process in place through, uh, as you know, the county development plan, yeah. which allows for local authorities to sit down over a prolonged period of time. The recent, recently passed Dunleary Rathdown county development plan was two years in the making and has just recently been, been, been gone through its final stages, albeit with one or two minor corrections perhaps to be made. But the, the, the issue with housing really is, is, I'd like to bring it back if I can, because uh, Justin rightly talks about uh, markets and, and returns and in, you mentioned interest rates. Housing should not be regarded uh, in the main as a commodity of that nature. Housing is a need for our, our, our population. It's, it's, and the state's refusal or withdrawal from the building of houses is simply uh, unforgivable. But you want to go back to local authorities? Building I want again. us to go back to, and, and it, it, is, it is starting in a very small way through the Land Development Agency with the developments in Shangana. But it and, still and doesn't hope, address no, it, it the, doesn't, the, it, the actual it, land mass that's needed. No, it for, doesn't. But, but within the country development plan process, there are height uh, considerations with respect to uh, where is it appropriate to have higher buildings than the normal two, three, four storey height. So those regulations are simply blown out of the water when on board Planola come along to, to review and approve SHDs. But that's coming to an end. Uh, th- that is coming to an we end. Don't but, know when, but, 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 it, but yes. it's going to be replaced by an equally flawed system whereby uh, the local councils will have uh, the uh, the process of passing comment and, and approval of, of housing applications, but they will be guided not by local county development plan uh, uh, recommendations and guidelines and, and, and content, regarding the, the, the country development plan. Um, instead, it'll be driven by the national guidelines, the national regulations. So it's just this, it's, we're going to end up, I would, I would uh, imagine, with the same flawed system. We want to revert back to what used to work in the past, where the local authority built a lot of houses for those who are simply unable to afford to buy them on the on the on the uh, on the open market, and let the open market deal with the with the the issues of finance or resourcing or, or whatever through the normal mechanism uh, by which uh, those who have the funds can do so. Okay, but but for the but for the main the withdrawal of the state and the local authorities from building houses is what has caused this problem. And it's not happened today or yesterday or the day before. So this bring, this bring is over Franklin. the last decades driven by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Okay, I've got to go to Fianna Fáil so. now in a moment. You're, you're being blindsided now by, um, by national government. And, and, and so, you know, what you've just said there in relation to, uh, to, to opening the programme mm. is irrelevant. Mm. Well, I hear what um, my colleagues are saying, but it, I don't think, you know, our local authority want to build social housing. I think that there's so many housing agencies out there now that they, it's like they're subletting the housing problem to the housing agencies, and it's it's then it's the housing agencies' problem to look after the, the the social tenants. Like we do need a lot more social housing in the country, and it we're not going to get away from this. It's not going to go away. So we have to come up with a solution. I agree with Dave that the local authority probably should be building the housing estates like they used to. But I don't think they have the appetite and I don't think central government want them to do it because it's like they're outsourcing that part of the government now to include housing, yeah. Trinity House and all these places. 
And then we look at Dundrum, we're going to be getting 10% of that development if it gets passed for social housing, which is badly needed. And we all know we need that. But it's the cost of them units that the developer is going to charge. As, as Justin's saying. The local authority. Like they're going to be charging for a two bed uh, unit back to the local authority, probably 700,000. That's a lot of money that the state is forking out for a two bedroom apartment. Whereas if they were building their own, they'd probably build them at a fraction of that price. So, the Plus, system do you want to address less. that? Then do you want to address? I mean, you've been you, your party's accused of, of abandoning it there. Um, by, 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 well, uh, I suppose. I suppose. Look, first of all, Fianna Fáil hasn't been in government from 2011 to 2020. Okay, so we can't be responsible for social housing policy for that length of time. But, but, no, but hang, Justin, hold on here. Hold on here. The housing crisis was caused primarily by Fianna Fáil. I didn't interrupt you. I didn't interrupt you, and I don't. Okay, so. So Daryl O'Brien's housing minister for two years, okay? The, the, the housing for all program has committed 4 billion euros a year to building social and affordable housing, which was not committed previously, okay? We are seeing the LDA develop stuff, but it's slow and it is going to take time. And there's nobody here, there's no point in spoofing people and telling them this is going to be solved tomorrow. It won't. This is a long program. There is a deficit of social housing in the country. And that exists for a long time. You're correct in that, but it does need to be addressed. All arms of the state are required to do it, including local authority build. There's no doubting that. And local authority are best placed to do it. That doesn't exclude the approved housing bodies. They have a role to play too, but it is not an exclusive role in it. So we have a deficit of social housing that's required and required urgently. Why then, just just before we go back to Dave there, why then, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was during the um, Fianna Fáil Progressive Democrat uh, coalition that it was decided to scrap uh, local authorities building social housing. Why not go back to that now? Well, they are going back to that. I mean, there is a, there is a requirement. If you look at housing for all, there are housing targets in there for the local authorities to meet. Okay, so, so, so that 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 is a desire of housing for all. However, that needs to be done on the ground. And and when you look at Many of the local authorities, you will see the the resources to deliver that in terms of architects and QSs and all of that sort of stuff isn't there. So, so that has to be rebuilt or redeveloped within each local authority in order to develop and Dave, deliver it. What do you, do you want to bring you in on that now? Sure. Um, well, Justin's right that this this hasn't happened. You know, in the last couple of years, this is this is this is a problem that has been developed over decades. It came obviously to to a to a crisis point uh, with the financial crash again, uh, contributed primarily uh, by by uh, outside forces, but exacerbated by by uh, Irish conditions of the housing um, development issue. And housing has, in the main, been seen as a profit source, as a source of private enterprise making. Uh, making returns and the, the state has been withdrawing from the, the delivery of houses in order to leave the field open for but the that developers. By housing not just not in any way, shape or form. It, 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 there, there's a small level of, of, of uh, commitment for targets for, for public housing, but it's, it's minuscule in terms of the need and the need should drive 
the delivery. There is a need. The, the uh, local authority funded by central government has the capacity to, can build up the capacity to do so. It, 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 it's, it's, not going to t- it's not going to be done overnight, as, as I, I agree with Justin on that. But the demand, the need is there and it's up to uh, the, poli- the, the national mm-hmm. political parties to deliver it. And they're, they're failing to do so because of their own particular um, political perspective with respect to protecting the position of developers in the whole industry. And it's simply not acceptable. Michael, how do you come down on what you're hearing from your two colleagues? Um, Well, just as they were talking there, I'm thinking about Changana. Um, I believe the bill... Tranquil, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. out there. And the the land agency is, uh, the housing agency is planning on building the units there, a lot of them social, but they're going to cost them 600,000 to build. Like... Are we going to be able to afford this in two years' time with the way but, the country's going? But isn't that the problem? It, that's an inherent problem anyway. That's not going to go yeah, away. But that's what I'm saying. We need to look at this because I feel the country's going to hit a recession the next year. You know, you're looking at Davos recently on the television. Uh, you know, the you know, so it needs to be, we need to look at this, the cost of materials to build. I can't see it's going to be sustainable, even if, if we got permission for... Uh, well, that's another aspect of it, isn't it, as yeah. well? I mean, um, if, um, if, construction inflation. If the, the if Dundrum got approved, I actually don't think Hammerson has, will have the money to actually build it. So... Uh, I just want to move on too, because there's another story today in today's Irish Times in relation to uh, Dolira's down rezoning plans challenged. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, but the newly adopted Dolira down country development plan is facing three legal challenges by developers over the resigning of South Dublin residential lands for other purposes. Uh, the actions are uh, lands in Stilorgan, Ghost Town and Bullock Harbour. We're all familiar, I think, with the ongoing problem there with uh, Richard Barrett trying to get, trying to build there in Bullock Harbour. Um, what, what's, your, um, what's your reaction to that particular um, situation now that, that uh, they are prepared to go to court on these developers? Start with you again, Dave. Well, every, every citizen is entitled to take legal action as they see fit. But the county development plan, as I said earlier, uh, Brian went through a, a detailed, lengthy process of uh, study, consideration, discussion, debate, voting within the local authority council. Councillors duly elected by the residents of Dunleary Rathdown, and they've we have come up with the the, the country development plan based on the advices provided uh, by by the experts by the management involved, and we've obviously um, made uh, choices and decisions which uh, run counter to the financial interests of certain people, and uh, so be it. Okay, the development wants uh, an order quashing the decision to adopt the plan are in the alternative quashing the adopted amendments made by way of council meeting motions by elected members which which related to the rezoning of part of the lands from institutional um, which allows for sustainable neighbourhood infrastructure to open space. It's also looked for a declaration as to its legal rights and legal duties of the council in relation to the decision under the challenge. So they're not happy with you councillors. Look, that's part of the job. But uh, I suppose that the chief executive recommendation was that no more land should be rezoned in Dunleary Rathdown, that we have enough land rezoned at the moment. But there were some sites rezoned um, in this county development plan, like um, the Mint uh, Central Bank site in Sandyford that was rezoned uh, residential. So, it, it, look, they're more than welcome to take it to, to the courts, but uh, I feel that there's enough land rezoned at the moment um, to to adequately fill the housing need. Um 
But like when it comes down to the, the, the chief executive's recommendation was that there was enough land rezoned. So we'll go to the 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 the, the person that's in charge of the, the county development plan. They'll decide. Mm, okay. And and Justin, you know, we we discussed Docky there before you came up before you came on air. <laughs> yeah. That's that's protracted to this point and seems to <laughs> as if is. he's determined yeah. to try yeah. and build on that Bullock Harbour site. Yeah, it is. And I suppose like as as, as both uh, Dave and Michael have said, uh, you know, if, if we look at the county development plan, there's a thing called the housing needs demand assessment, you know, and that kind of gives you a quantum of housing that's required. And that's all done under national planning framework, policy guidelines and all that. So DLR's county development plan has met all of that, okay? So, you know, I suppose as elected reps, our job is to, is to look at how best to lay out the county within that framework. Um, so when you talk about Bullock, it's interesting. So, you know, that's a harbour. It used to be a boat yard. And I don't know if you've seen any of the videos they showed from Storm Ophelia and Storm Emma and all that stuff where you saw the overtopping and the flooding. So as a councillor, you know, I'd look at that. I live near the area, so I know it. You know, if somebody were to go and build houses there and that overtopping and flooding comes along and the headline will be when that happens, who allowed housing to be built here? Because they knew it happened, right? So we're standing at the county development plan saying it's not a good idea to build housing in an old boat yard that's prone to overtopping and flooding. Now, the owner of the yard, for sure, they're within the rights to challenge it. But it's, but it's been made for good reason. I mean, we're, we, we have made those decisions in the best interest of the community. And that's our job. So, you know, if it needs to be challenged, then so be it. But, but we kind of have to stand over yeah, making yeah. decisions for the community. Yeah. Fully, so th- fully agree. Last word then in relation to this, before we move on to more national stories, uh, what what are your are, are you optimistic about developing in the county, or what, what are your thoughts, uh, Justin? I think it's challenging. I mean, you know, as we move towards this compact urban development, and it's it's a change in the way we do things. I think there's there's expectations from the planning framework and the office of the planning regulator and all that space and how they want things done. And I think there's a challenge in what communities will accept in terms of that change in planning. And then there's also challenges in financing and funding it for development and all of that. So there's challenges in getting here. We need to resolve them urgently though, because we do well, need we're development. We're in a national crisis, aren't we? We're in a crisis. So we need to get past all this very quickly yeah. and start delivering units. But look, I am optimistic. Of course I am. I mean, Shangan is going to be, I think, a very successful development. I need to be mixed between social and affordable, um, and, and and that's what we need to see more of. You know, Michael, the, the uh, youth population is, is very discouraged by what's going on at the moment in, in the national property market. At the moment, do you think anything can be done in time to appease their uh, um, qualms before the next general election? But there is a lot happening, Brian. In fairness, now uh, there is a lot happening. So it doesn't mind seem like that, but there's a lot of units. There's a lot of SHDs coming before within Dublin or within the rest of the country. Well, I'll speak for Dublin for Dublin mainly, but there is a lot happening in the Sandyford Glen Cullen Ward alone. We have three SHDs. We had a week at some stage, so that's for apartment blocks of three or four hundred, which will be allocated. Ten percent of them will be allocated to social housing. Yeah. So things are happening. I just you know. Rome wasn't built in a day, but the, I do believe that things are changing. And I do believe in two years' time, we'll see a massive difference. Um, like the SHDs that come in front of us in Sandyford Lane, Cullen Ward, are massive. Now, there's some that were for three and four bedroom houses that I fully support. Some that were too high that I would be against in, in especially residential areas. But when they're building the likes of Sandyford Industrial Estate and they have high rise there, perfect, love it. I think that's where they should be built. Last word. Correct. Dave. Well, we've got more than a challenge. As you say, we're in a crisis and unfortunately things are getting worse, not better, because most of the 
um, large housing developments coming up for for consideration uh, are what's called build to rent. And those are simply wholly inappropriate. The build to rent concept was originated uh, from a need to have city centre dwellings available to rent for for younger folk, for for single people um, of of a different calibre to to family units out in the suburbs uh, where simply houses or larger apartments are needed. These massive developments of one and two bedroom, mostly studio and one bed so build, sort of build, Democrats get into, build into, to rent. into power, which in vain, next time out, you'll, 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 you will work with them to try and rectify that. I'll work with anybody okay. to change the flawed policies that are in place right now because they're not delivering and things are getting worse, not okay. better. Sorry, Brian. Could I ask? Quickly. I always want to know, what is the other side's solution? Because now I'm in the middle, I'm independent, but I'd love to know what Sinn Féin and all the other parties, what will they do to solve the housing crisis? Well, I'm going to leave it like that. 93.9, Dublin South FM. Hello, welcome back to iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. In the PropTech hot seat today is Ross Griffin, founder of Cosmos, the digital QS. Uh, Ross, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Carl. It's great to be here. Um, so, Ross, ordinarily you're in the uh, you're in the West but uh, today yeah. you're, you're in Denmark, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So um, I guess uh, to, to explain that a little bit, uh, Cosmos was founded in Copenhagen uh, in Denmark in uh, 2019. And last year we uh, we opened an Irish office in Limerick. I'm originally from Limerick, so I'm back and forth between the two. So you happen to catch me in, in our Copenhagen office today. Very good, very good. So first of all, um, as mentioned, uh, Cosmos, the digital QS, explain to listeners what that is. Yeah, um, from our perspective, uh, it's it's the traditional quantity surveying uh, practice, but foc- focusing on digital information and digital projects or so digital design, uh, kind of embedding ourselves in the um, architectural engineering uh, digital design process as a kind of collaborative, integrated member of that team. So rather than the traditional model of, of waiting for design information to be sent to you on uh, 2D PDF, um, we're now changing the model slightly uh, where we uh, are ingrained in the design development with the, the architects and engineers uh, consistently and continually looking at the development of the 3D information um, within whatever platform, whether that's that Rivet or, or Archicad or whatever, um, and trying to advise on the quality level of the information in accordance with the BIM execution plan so that we as QSs can use that information uh, when exported in IFC format into our estimating software to develop cost plans, bills of quantities, and so on. So again, rather than waiting to the end, we're now trying to integrate ourselves in that entire development process. So from a QS function point of view, what difference does that make to the overall project? You... Well, there's a couple of things, right? So first of all, uh, as a QS, uh, we're saying that we're moving away from quantity surveying as a kind of process. We're more quality surveyors now. So we're taking information developed by other disciplines to use uh, within the cost planning, cost estimating. Again, the same as we've always done before, except the information is being developed by other disciplines. It's not been, uh, it's not the QS's role now to 
interpret uh, information anymore. It's it's their role to take that information to quality assure it and then to use it. So from that perspective, you're improving the quality of design information from day one, week on week with the disciplines. And I must uh, reiterate that with the disciplines, with the architect, with the engineer. So you're adding value to their process as well as they're adding value to your process. Okay, and um, something that I ask most of our guests on the show is because I'm I'm particularly those involved in projects outside of Ireland because yeah. I think it's really important for the Irish industry to be honest about assessing where it is in terms of digital adoption. Um, so given your experience, um, not just in Denmark but obviously you work on international projects, yeah. where do you think Ireland lies in terms of digital adoption? Um, I, I guess there's two areas to that one as a as a national industry, I would say that we are absolute laggers in our processes uh, and our adaption of, our adoption of digital design and digital as an as a again as a national um, uh, industry when compared to Denmark, for example, um, in. 2008, uh, the Danish government brought in their their first uh, BIM initiative. Um, it has been updated in 2012, 2015, and again recently. So they have now gone through what will be kind of 15 years of digital progression within as a within the industry nationally. Now, of course, we have companies that are are well ahead in terms of a, a global level within Ireland, but that is very very challenging for companies when working on a national level with with different stakeholder groups with different knowledge bases and 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 level of experience so again in a in a national level i'd say we were for for sure we're, we're well behind when compared to denmark for example okay and but then i'm sure you're aware of initiatives like for example um build digital and, and other initiatives by the state supplemented by the private sector of course in terms of driving digital adoption in terms yep. of, you know, off-site and other modern methods yep. of construction. Um, and and actually, whenever we speak to anybody across the MMC chain, they all say the same thing. And that is, it comes back to being involved at early design stage. So we yep. know that pre-construction is where the wins are to, are to be gained. It's where we 100%. need to focus on. Um, it's possibly not where the traditional industry is focused on right now, but it's where we need to get to for best yep. practice. But um, looking at the experiences that you've seen in the Danish market over the past number of years, you know, what have you learned there that maybe you're not seeing in the Irish marketplace? The BIM mandate that is uh, government driven, that is implemented and managed, we that ne- that needs to happen for starters. We will never catch up or be at the level that that com- countries like Denmark are without a, a BIM mandate for public projects. Public investment are, is the largest in in any any country. They also have the diversity in projects from small to medium to large, and they have the the finance to back up the development, not the development of the, the asset itself, the physical asset, but the development and the learning of uh, for all stakeholder groups within that project to increase their knowledge base within digital design and digital delivery. So we need pilot projects driven by government that are, are, are BIM mandated and that are managed relating to that BIM mandate. So un- until we have that, I think we, we, we will continually struggle as a national industry to, to bring up everybody, including SMEs and the supply chain in that uh, digital workflow and, and digital way of thinking and, and so on on projects. You know, it's interesting when um, BIM was mandated across all um, uh, UK projects, 
years ago, you know, the, there was almost an assumption in the industry that that's what would happen in Ireland. And that yeah. hasn't been the case. And we see now while there's been huge progress made over the last two years, um, it's very academic and it's yeah. academic led, which obviously will have a knock on effect as we're training the next generation of experts. Um, but is enough being done, uh, I, I suppose, at, at industry level? So, for example, you're talking about the state needing to take the lead in bringing in um, emerging technologies and existing technologies. But there's an element of risk in that. So the state isn't set up to mm. to understand, to assume risk. So how do we get around that? That's, yeah, you, you have a, a huge challenge there, right? So there is an element of risk in it, but risk at the end of the day is cost, right? So either it's time or it's capex. And they need to set aside capex to allow projects to be development projects when it comes to digital advances and so on. It, so government need to make a decision right now. Is that something that they want for the future? And for us as an industry to be competitive internationally, we have to bring the capabilities up of the entire uh, uh, local industry. Otherwise, you will have private companies developing their BIM standards, developing their knowledge bases uh, for the global market rather than the local market, because private sector in itself will only take on BIM partially, to be honest. It really depends, and it's up to developers how they see the value in that. So from a government perspective, they need to set aside a fund for this to keep this going. And the Built Digital Project is a, is a, a great example, but with it cannot be an, an academic task. It has to be practical. We have to bring in the entire supply chain into it. We have to bring in all stakeholders into that development in order to be able to build the knowledge base. And it takes time and it takes years and we're going to make mistakes. That has to be understood. It's not something we're going to change overnight. If you Again, if we reflect back to Denmark, we're 15 years in the kind of digital development process in Denmark. All projects are now digital projects in Denmark. All projects that we work with um, inside uh, in the Danish environment are all BIM projects. We we don't have any traditional projects left, and that's almost down to your one-off housing. So all kind of consultants and stakeholders have now transitioned to the digital approach because it, it's more cost-effective. Uh, digital information is easy to work, easier to work with um, in terms of how you procure. It, it's much much easier um, rather than the traditional models. So. It's inevitability that we're now going to have to work towards, but someone has to lead the way, and that has to be government. Yeah, um, you know, and and it's something that I think, I, if we're having this conversation in three years' time, I wonder will you be making the same point, and we'll still be way off that, just purely because we know the pressure um, that is on the state to update its procurement models, and yet that doesn't seem to be filtering through. You know, you're talking about the education of the supply chain. And what we've seen, by the way, you know, one thing that I've observed across the construction industry is that there's a, a widening gap between those who are, are doing it. Um, they're, they're, um, they're along the journey of adopting new technologies and they're bringing their supply chain with them. So it's not yep. a case of the supply chain being left behind. They're bringing them with them. However, there's a huge gap between those who have and those who haven't. And I'm, I'm surprised at some of the organizations that haven't because mm. they're ones that would have been big names in the industry. So yeah. actually size isn't an indicator of who's adopting technology at all. And I wonder how, how, at what extent does the gap need to be before it becomes a gap that can't be 
closed. Closed. Um, it, it, it'll come down to the international market, to be honest. And we pride ourselves in Ireland about export, uh, exporting construction skills and mines and companies and so on. Look at the data center industry, for example. That's a case in point. But if, if we don't become competitive and capable within the digital sphere, we will be left behind. Clients on an international scale will, be, will begin to look at digital projects and we as a supply chain coming out of Ireland will not be able to supply that. That will become a, a problem for us. And if that becomes a problem, we will not be able to catch up with international uh, uh, industries and international capabilities. It will, the lag behind will be too far to gain for us. It'll take us decades. That's a really worrying. That's a really worrying one. Um, so let's. That that almost seems like uh, the start of a bigger conversation for another day. But mm. let's bring it back to Cosmos here. Mm. I know that your company offering has evolved in recent years. Yeah. T- tell me about and tell our audience about Fifth Dimension. So if again, if we start with Cosmos, um, our intention was to challenge how we would traditionally deliver projects uh, from a, a quantity surveying perspective. And because as individuals, we've been working on digital projects for eight or nine years now, um, we could see that on an international market, like, like in Ireland, for example, if we were considering us as a Danish company, we could see that there's opportunity in these markets where where uh, the local supply chain might not have the knowledge and experience on digital projects. So as we were building our kind of standard standards and standardization within Cosmos, as we started, we want to be a cloud-based kind of uh, quantity surveying. So we're a paperless office. We, we do not print paper. Everything is digital, whether it's 2D measurement or 3D measurement, it's, it's all digital. Um, and what we realized when, and we noticed this in, over the last number of years was two things. We're very dependent on Excel as a platform or software um, to manage construction budgets and economies and reporting and so on. And Excel is a very manual um, platform. It's, it's it's kind of like the pen and paper of, of the olden days. We've, we've shifted through now. Yes, we're all digitized using Excel, but the next layer is coming. Um, and the second thing we realized is that Companies don't have databases. Companies don't have cost databases. They haven't standardized enough yet. And what we realized was when we started investigating the availability of of software out there for quantity surveyors in particular, and for companies that understand kind of the quantity surveying practices is that there there isn't a a specific or focused uh, software that allows QSs to report digitally, to collect cost information in a standard structured format, and then to analyze that cost information across the different portfolios that they might have or the different building types or subtypes and so on. And the introduction of ICMS, International Construction Measurement Standards, a number of years ago has now allowed us on a global scale to standardize our, our, our cost structures and then being able to analyze cost information, not only on a national level, but across borders on an international level. And it's something we're working with one of our clients with at the moment on their projects on an international scale is because we're using standardized cost structures, because we're using standardized approach to our uh, cost planning, bills of quantities, cost control, so on, it allows us now to look across their entire global portfolio and to really challenge what has been designed and delivered by local teams uh, in terms of the solutions from a commercial perspective to 
to add more value into their projects, to add more value into, into their delivery and, and hopefully increase their return on investment or offer that cost saving back to the supply chain. So the fifth dimension is basically is basically this. It's a cloud-based solution where uh, us as quantity surveyors can load cost information from our estimating tools. And from that, the clients can log on to their dashboard viewing um, uh, level and be able to view within their commercial information relating to either their project, their portfolio, or their entire uh, business. And uh, with that, we're able then to create a national or international database of cost information that is can be indexed up to, to um, the most uh, uh, recent uh, uh, index, depending on where you are, of course course and being able to then look at value creation for clients, companies, and and uh, perhaps again, government uh, and, and local uh, authorities, you know. Oh, and Ross, you mentioned that in the last year, you've um, opened an Irish office. Correct. So who, are the tar- who are the clients that you're trying to target? I mean, just from your description, it sounds like this, um, that the target uh, audience here would be across professional QS and construction QS. Um, but obviously, the stakeholders, the term stakeholders has broadened hugely. And we know that those employing QS services yeah. has broadened hugely over the yeah. past decade. So who yeah. are your targets in the Irish market? If, um, from a Cosmos perspective or from a Fifth Dimension perspective, uh, both. So for us, uh, Cosmos, we're looking for uh, companies that are that are interested in in a delivery of a digital project process. So pre-construction is our focus. Um, as we mentioned uh, when we opened up the conversation, pre-construction is where the value is created. It is the proactive element of construction. During execution, it's reactive. You're dealing with information that has already been created. You're dealing with contracts that have already been structured. And it really is a proactive uh, approach to managing risk and and client cost. Whereas in in pre-construction, you are managing design quality, contract quality, uh, change management information. So for us, we're looking for uh, kind of strategic partners within the industry, whether that is QS practices looking to a kind of improve their knowledge on digital workflows. We would come in and assist them on projects or developers looking to really change how they de- deliver their pre-construction projects. That's kind of our focus from a Cosmos perspective. From a fifth dimension perspective, that is kind of any developer or any uh, quantity surveying practice looking to standardize and digitize their commercial information. So I'll give you an example. If you had you know, Limerick City and County Council or Cork City uh, Council or Dublin City Council who have a range of schools and they've been collecting cost information on their schools for the last two decades. Imagine how powerful that is, standardized and being able to analyze automatically when looking at benchmarking for the next schools or the risks for the next schools because all your risks have been cataloged and categorized and collected digitally. You can run algorithms then that will predict the risk for you and predict the cost of that risk based on that historical information. None of us have that today. And that's what we want to recreate for the future. We want to change what the QS, the quantity surveyor is, we want to digitize the entire workflow so that we can automate most of the analytics that will allow us to advise our clients more strategically and accurately in the future. So that would be the fifth dimension element, right? Um, both large developers and, and uh, local municipalities and, and governments. Very good. Just a, a final question uh, for clients coming on board with you now. Do they need to have? Do they need to be a certain distance along the digital transformation journey? Can you bring them along with you? 
So we have uh, we have a couple of clients at the moment that we're developing their digital strategy for them. Now, some companies might might think, well, a quantity surveying quantity surveying practice developing a digital strategy that doesn't really make sense. Isn't that a digital consultant? But we've partnered with digital consultants to to deliver these strategies for very large organisations, um, like global organisations as well, not just national here in Denmark, but global organisations. So we would develop that. BIM execution plan, but there's a focus on not just the design, it's the 4D, the 5D, so time and cost, the 6D and 7D, which is sustainability and facilities management, and encapsulating all of that uh, within these strategic documents that allows companies and uh, to start from the very beginning of their project and then manage that information development through the design in the pre-construction, through the construction from that delivery from the contractor and right up to the digital handover prior to the operation of the building. That all needs to happen early. Otherwise, you need to try and retrofit everything. And that's that's quite difficult to do. Now, these, these strategies, it, they're not that difficult to implement, to be honest. It's about having the right stakeholders around the table to have the conversations that the client needs to have. So the client just needs to kind of have a vision that they want to change from traditional models. They want to digitize their workflow and their information to become more competitive in order to be able to improve their delivery in the future. A small example would be, imagine... We have a, obviously everybody knows we have a housing housing crisis in Ireland. Imagine we were able to digitize everything we've built back in the Celtic Tiger to understand what our cost per square meter is in all the different um, uh, building types and housing types that we've had. Imagine we have that today in order to strategize what we should build, where we should build it, and what and and why we should build it. That would be incredibly powerful to us now. So. Yes, we can't have it retrofitted back uh, over a decade ago, but we can start today for the next generation and the next, um, you know, uh, push towards uh, uh, residential developments. Very good. And final question, Ross: What advice? Uh, what's the kind of a, what advice would you have for, say, BIM managers who, whatever about the client, are still facing resistance, maybe from the, within their own organisation? Um. I would say that it's inevitable. It's coming uh, regardless. Now, whether it's 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 going to happen within your organization or not, that remains to be seen. But in terms of a, a, a global construction market, it's it's coming regardless. And uh, there will always be work in the future for uh, for digital QSs and, 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 and uh, BIM coordinators, for sure, because we're becoming more and more and more digitized um, as a as a industry we know it ourselves from personally like if you go back uh, two decades look at the phones we carry now they absolutely have us connected and everything is relating to that everything is now in, uh, going into your phone including your your credit cards your key access to your your car your house everything so the principles will be the same for construction we'll digitize the entire uh, project workflow um, in the future and who knows where it's going to be or who knows what it's going to end up but it is incredibly exciting so i would say to anybody who's really under pressure at the moment just bear with it it's going to change okay inspiring words that's great um my thanks to ross griffin founder of cosmos the digital qs and that's it from the prop tech hot seat this week you can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or by emailing hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.